I am delighted to be joined this morning by retired Willimantic Fire Captain Al Bolio, who will reflect on 50 years ago today, the legendary Valentine's Day fire. Is that the biggest fire that you fought in your firefighting career? In my firefighting career, no. Uh, American Thread was the, uh, which was... 1995 for that one. Yes, correct. Uh, the mill number four yeah. fire. At the time, uh, I had just started in 66, so yes, 68. Up to that time, this was the biggest one that we that I had. Now, let's talk about the training you had for that. You hear you'd been on the job for two years, and you come up with this massive fire, the Sherwin-Williams building here on Church and Main Street, Willimantic. Does the training they give you back in 1966 prepare you for a fire of that magnitude? Uh, it, it did. It gave you the knowledge of uh, what had to be done. Uh, either you go in and, and put it out, or you're going to have a lot of foundations here in Willimantic. So you had to work with what we had back then. Um, today, every man's got a Scott Air Pack. Back then, we had two Scott Air Packs on every engine, and uh, some on a ladder truck, and that was it. Uh, you had to get to the seat of the fire, which these gentlemen... Did I, I feel they did a hell of a job with what they had to work with at that time, back in the 60s. Now, of course, the fire was the story, but one thing that made it an even bigger challenge for all the people, including the mutual aid from other towns that came in, was the weather. What are your memories of how cold that Valentine's Day was? It was cold enough to freeze uh, your, your gear that you had on, that when uh, you would take a walk up to the fire station and warm up, uh, the guys had to chip the ice off with a halligan tool or, or with a little hammer. And then you could take your coat and stand it up, and it would stand by itself. Uh, it didn't melt off right away. It was, the, it was uh, around zero, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, the hoses were all frozen, uh, ice all over. And, of course, you couldn't get you know sand out there. You just had to... Uh, Watch your steps. Now, for the people listening who were not around in 1968 or didn't live in this town, give me the geography of what specific area of downtown burned 50 years ago today. Okay. Well, that area was a, a, a block which consisted of, uh, from the, the present church, the Baptist church, which is still standing, that was saved. Uh, but it was really from Pearl, I mean from uh, Temple Street to Church Street. That was the area, and around the back of the building, it was an L shape. Uh, I think you had Schiller's, uh, and then you had a florist that was up on the side street over there. And uh, it, it consisted of that one block area. And, of course, the key, I think, to this whole thing was Sherwin-Williams because there was like 35,000 gallons of paint there. And once that thing got going, that really fanned the flames, didn't it? They had a bulkhead that they had open downstairs, but you've got to remember it got going. You know, they, they got it reported smoke in the area. They came down, checked the area, probably went by it, and then came back up and then saw a little puff of smoke and then started investigating but the, the main thing back then was to get it out, but the main thing was life safety as it is today. So basically you go in there and you say, the heck with the fire and let's get all the people out and double check yourself. And you did that? There were no We did that. I, I, when I came to the scene, they sent me right upstairs into the uh, building and do a complete search all over again, even though they had done it. In the meantime, they went into the backside 
And, uh, of course, you got to remember turpentine, uh, any type of oils, the paint, they float on the water. So as we were putting the water, the fire out, the, 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 the fire was continuing into different buildings. And back then they all had that a balloon construction, as it's called. It goes from the basement right to the top floor, and it's like a chimney. So once it got up in there, uh, myself and uh, uh, Captain Connell, who's deceased now, uh, we were up on the Church and Reed building, putting water in from the top of the Church and Reed building into the skylight of that building, and then come back down. We were, you know, up and down all day. I often talk about my favorite morning show guests are ones who talk about travel. Where you can kind of live vicariously with them. And also history, especially local history. And this is local history coming alive today from 50 years ago today. The Valentine's Day fire in downtown Willimantic. Retired Willimantic fire captain Al Bolior guest. Okay, Al, when was the first time that you yourself were aware something big was going on in town 50 years ago today? Well, as you know, uh, all firefighters uh, have monitors in their home, so... Uh, the, no the, cell phones back then, though. No cell phones, no, no. Uh, the monitor, uh, they broadcasted that we had a possible working fire at uh, the Lincoln Square at the time. And uh, so uh, I got up and got dressed and uh, headed right out. That's the first thing you saw when you got and, there. And then we all got called back. When I, when I got there, we had heavy smoke showing. Uh, we had second engine in. Uh, we had uh, volunteer departments coming in mutual aid. Uh, and uh, you had the chief and deputy chief there. And uh, it went from there. They uh, issued out the orders. They told us what they wanted. And uh, we got things done. One of the first things was, uh, you know, double check, go up into the building, make sure every apartment was empty, and uh, make sure everybody was out and keep them out. Yeah, talk about that particular aspect of it, that people remember the fact we had Church Reed and Hurley's, Sherwin-Williams, and so forth, but upstairs, there were private residences. There they were all private apartments upstairs, and all of the buildings that the main fire was in, except, I believe, Church and Reed didn't have it, but uh, everything from uh, Country Squires, uh, you had the RCA uh, TV, uh, Electronics the only uh, building on the very end, which was Mustard Insurance, was only one level. Was there also an attempt made to protect the Baptist Church? Oh, there was, was de definitely. We we had lines in between the two buildings, and we were uh, hosing that down, uh, putting a water curtain in there from backside as well as the front side. Um, they got did, you know they did get a lot of smoke because it was a very smoky fire because uh, and. Uh, we went on from there, and uh, then when uh, the deputy chief and uh, my captain at the time was Captain Phil Vallone, uh saw water seeping through the bricks, they uh, pulled us all away because we were right down by the front windows of the Hurley's building, and uh, we were putting water in there, and uh, when they saw the water weeping through the bricks, they backed us all up because... Uh, it's, I guess, the old-timers knew that there was a possible collapse coming, and they were 100% right. Uh, matter of fact, one of our uh, foam applicators uh, got crushed under all the uh, bricks, and uh, we had foam brought in from the sub-base and many departments around that had foam, 
And basically what we did is it laid a blanket of foam in there to smother the fire. Otherwise, it just floated from one basement to the other. There's a really good Facebook page, Willimantic Firefighters, and on that page it says, February 14, 1968 was not a day that the Willimantic Fire Department would like to remember. Starting late on the 13th and reaching its peak on the 14th, several downtown businesses were destroyed by an explosion and fire that was later discovered to be a furnace explosion in or near Sherwin-Williams Paint Store. With well over 20,000 gallons of flammable paint, and I saw up to 40,000 in some other reports, the fire spread, destroying five businesses and causing the demolition of what was called the Yonkless Building. Many of these photos are from the Chronicle and Current. Of course, we could not forget to post the iconic photo of former Willimantic firefighter, the late Jimmy Connell, helping an elderly woman across the ice-covered Main Street. Right. I have a good picture of that at home. Uh, and I believe Timmy Tollican took quite a few uh, good pictures. Uh, he was... Uh, positioned uh, across the street on the old uh, bank building. He, he, he took many, many pictures. In fact, I've got a story that he wrote for The Current from that fire, which I'll read a little later on for today. But Ron Robillard's great pictorial history of uh, Willimantic it had a caption of some of the pictures of that fire, and it said one of the worst fires was the St. Valentine's Day fire in 1968 with damaged six buildings housing ten stores, fed by 25,000 gallons of paint in the basement of the store when the Sherwin-Williams store, the fire quickly spread to two adjacent buildings. Eight volunteer fire departments responded to help the Willimantic Fire Department. The firefighter job is compounded by cold weather. Note the icicles hanging from the utility lines. The cause of the fire remains a mystery to this day. We'll check that in a second. Uh, and he says that despite being on the scene for nearly 24 hours, this firefighter still found time to escort 94-year-old Harriet Fenton across the street. She had walked down the hill from her Church Street home to see what all the commotion was about. That's Correct. a sweet picture. Yeah, yeah. He helped her to cross the hoses because, uh, as we call it, spaghetti. We had it all over Main Street, uh, all the way down Church Street, uh, because we had uh, trucks positioned on Church Street as well. Uh, we had the building laddered, uh, Church and Reed's building was laddered there with the old, uh, 75 foot ladder we had back then, the Maxim. And, uh, all the other departments were all around us, uh, and basically it ended up, uh, uh, being, we set up our dead guns, uh, out on the street and just pouring water into it. Al Bolio, our guest this morning, flashing back to the big fire 50 years ago today. Now, Al, online, and you can't believe everything you read online, but I saw one story that a bit of a conspiracy theory. Someone thought that fire might have been set by arson to accelerate what became the redevelopment project in Gilson Square, and they took all those buildings in what now is Gilson Square down. But you say that's not the case at all. It's not the case, no. Uh, the uh, fire state fire marshal did find that the... Uh, Boiler door had blown off, and they did found it, find it in the basement after we, you know, pumped everything out, and they were able to uh, find the cause that the, it was the boiler that uh, blew. I guess the day before, they were having problems with heat in the system. It would get real hot, or it would get cold, or so there was, you know, some problem with the furnace that uh, probably brought that on early that morning at 1.40 in the morning. No doubt about that being no, the cause, yeah. No. Twenty families were homeless from this fire, and all nine businesses were affected. The prep shop, Sherwin-Williams, the Lincoln shop, Mustard Insurance Agency, Superior Electronics, Church Reed, the Country Shop, Gay's Florist, and Archambault's Barber Shop. And after the fire, 
Hurley's took out an ad in the Chronicle. This is on that Willimantic Firefighters Facebook page. I saw it. And it said, we as an organization and as individuals would like to thank all those many citizens who aided us in the fire that recently destroyed two of our shops. In particular, we would like to express our special thanks to these organizations. The Willimantic Fire Department, Willimantic Police Department, Salvation Army, Volunteer Fire Departments of the Mutual Aid System, the Red Cross. We hope to reorganize our shops and be of service to the community again in the near future. Our heartfelt sympathy goes for all those who suffered loss. And it was signed, Hurley's Men's Shop, Hurley's Prep Shop, and the Lincoln Shop. So a, a nice little tribute to those who worked. And in that ad, they also mentioned the, the volunteer fire departments. Al, tell me more about the mutual aid response to the big Valentine's Day fire. The, the mutual aid at the time, uh, I, I can see uh, we automatically call in our three windows. Uh, South Windham was standby at the station. Somebody had to cover the station. And they answered three calls that day also. They had uh, smoke investigation across the river, which turned out to be from the fire. You had an alarm come in from the high school, and then they had another call after that. So we had to have men at the station, which turned out to be South Windham. And then you had uh, North Windham, Mansfield, Eagleville, Chaplin, South Coventry, Columbia, came in with extra breathing apparatus. And then uh, later on during the day, as the guys got tired, they brought in extra departments uh, for manpower to man the lines that we had down there and uh, uh, take over for us. I I remember 17 and a half long hours and uh, going home. My wife uh, had drawn a nice uh, hot tub full of water, and I fell asleep in the tub, and she caught me going underwater. So... Uh, it, it was tiring, and I think probably everybody else that worked that day. Uh, everything got covered with ice. Uh, I remember engine one on the backside. Uh, uh, that that had to have a, a couple of inches of ice on it because it wasn't just from the backside. It was from the front side going right over the top. So, yeah, you had to contend with the ice real bad. Uh, hoses probably weren't picked up for a couple of days. Uh, so it, it was a hell of an experience, uh, for a guy that's been on for two years. You. Yes. Yeah. And I'm intrigued too by the fact that that was 50 years ago. And it almost sounds as if you remember that fire like it was yesterday. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You, you, you get so you do remember them and, and pictures of them. And, uh, it, it's great that people are still interested in, uh, what has transpired here in this town? Speaking of pictures, show and tell works so well on radio. Uh, what did you bring in today, Al? Well, we brought we brought in different pictures to keep my mind uh, uh, freshened up because uh, everybody says I'm starting to lose it. But uh, <laughs> you're not going to get that vote from me, pal. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the the pictures, uh, as you say on the radio, it's kind of tough. But uh, you can see that uh, you had. Uh, Oh, probably over a hundred firefighters there at the time. Um, we had uh, Rescue Eight who kept us uh, warm, and uh, we had, as you said, the Salvation Army. They brought coffee down, Red Cross, and and the people were great. I mean, uh, they, they would come down and bring you something, and uh, it, it was long hours. And uh, as a young firefighter. Uh, uh, back then, uh, yeah, it was very a tough experience. They say you learn from doing it, and uh, 
It, it was my choice of joining that many, many years ago, you know. Al, we're really thrilled that you could be here today to talk about such a significant fire and such a big anniversary. How many other firefighters from that fire 50 years ago today are, are still around? Uh, the only ones that I can come up with is uh, retired Captain uh, Edward Lewisier, who is our oldest retiree, uh, Captain Joseph DeMarchi, uh myself, and I believe Coleman at the time was Joseph Marsalisi, who became a full-time firefighter also. Now, that, those are the only four people that I can remember. Uh you know, other other than there's volunteers out there, but to to name them all, uh, I know my brother was uh, either chief or deputy chief from South Windham. He was at the station in Willimantic, uh standby with one of the engines from there, and um, Captain Lucier uh, ended up at the station, uh, never made it down to the fire. and he was running the switchboard, and at the time we had twenty one towns to dispatch for. So it wasn't just taking care of our fire that we had going. It was taking care of any emergency call that may have come in during that 18, 19 hours. So February 14, 1968 was the day of this fire. And that afternoon, the Chronicle ran a story. Remember, the fire is burning as the Chronicle is going to press. And it says an army of more than 100 firefighters led by Willimantic Fire Chief Albert Martin were still in battle at 2 o'clock today, attempting to contain a general alarm blaze that had already gutted two Main Street buildings facing Lincoln Square, seriously damaging three others and was threatening to spread further. Deputy Chief Ambrose Roy stated that he was, quote, optimistic that the Turner Block can be saved. Turner Block being the Church Reed building. Tell us about Ambrose Roy. He was a great deputy chief and a great chief. Uh, he, uh, let, let's say, was kind of stern. Uh, he knew what he wanted. When he uh, asked for certain things done, he would get it done. Uh, he, he basically that particular day would walk around and check everything that was going on in the front and the side in the back he kept track of all the men uh, as we call it now it's called the safety officer well he was the deputy chief but also the safety officer when he saw that you were need, needed a little rest he'd tell you take a break you know but uh, he was assisting and the chief was the main command and uh, he worked with the other department chiefs that came in, the mutual aid chiefs. And that's how the system works. Al, a few weeks ago, we had on uh, Wyndham Town Manager Jim Rivers, along with Fire Chief Mark Scrivener, and also uh, Matt Vertefay, uh, to talk about the big fire at Willie Waste. And one thing we talked about was how they set the command post up, and also what the organization was when people got to the scene to know who would do what. Can you reflect on that day 50 years ago today, from how they coordinated the, the effort, because it wasn't just the Willimantic Fire Department, as you said, there was a lot of mutual aid towns that came in as well. So how did they control who fought what? Well, back, back then, um, today they all have tags, and all the tags have to be collected by your different department uh, coordinators, and, and, and they're all brought to your uh, main base, which would have been uh, Chief uh, Scrivener, and uh, back then, it was, they they went to each department chief, and, and the, each department chief kept a, 
a, more or less a log of all the men power that were there. And as I said, uh, if something had to be changed, it would go to uh, Chief Roy, and Chief Roy would go to each department and tell them what they wanted done. Uh, and the radios, well, they were okay, but not not as good as uh, they are today. Al, compare and contrast how the fire was fought 50 years ago today versus how we would fight it today. And that would include equipment. You've got different, better equipment now than 50 years better ago. Better equipment. Uh, we have uh, better training and better gear. Uh, back then, as I said, uh, you had two Scots on every piece of equipment. You rode the back step. Today, you're in closed cabs. And every man has a Scott air pack. Uh, you have earphones. You, you're in contact with each other. And you got to remember the, the buddy system was way back in the 1800s. It's still a buddy system today. You know, uh, one hand washes the other. In other words, you, you have to take care of your, your own. But again, don't forget the life safety of the whole thing. Explain the buddy system and how it works. Well, the buddy system is uh, if something happens to me, uh, hopefully the other guy is going to be able to get me out of that trouble. And uh, they all have alarms on their uh, Scott air packs today. Um, if you happen to run out of air, the alarm will go off. If you happen to be standing still, in other words, if you collapsed, uh, and you're not moving around to keep this alarm shut off, the alarm will sound. So we, you know, you hear it. So the the, the safety is there a lot better than what it was back then. So much <laughs> of the water froze because it was so cold, but there's so much water flying around in a fire like this, the firefighters get wet. What's the story about dry socks? Dry socks, well, I, uh, from what I, I gathered, uh, I, and I had them up at the station, uh, but we had uh, some businesses that were handing out dry socks to the guys who's, uh, back then we wore the three-quarter boots, so uh, it, it isn't uh, encapsulated with the, with the suits like we have today, the uh, Nomax suits. Uh, so, yes, uh, your feet sweat, or you ended up with a boot full of water, and... Uh, yeah, they would. Uh, there was someone there, one of the businesses. I can't tell you whether it was Church and Reed or what, but they were handing out dry socks, and it was well appreciated. Uh, along with a good cup of hot coffee, was well appreciated too. Because it was so cold there. Oh yes, I was at UConn at the time as a quote unquote student, and while I heard about the fire, I didn't understand at that time just what a big deal that it was. Now. Tim Tollican is a Willimantic guy. He has most recently been an associate athletic director at the University of Connecticut, dealing with everything from, uh, from, from branding and even sports information. But many people also remember him as being a tremendous sports writer for the Norwich Bulletin. He also worked with me, broadcasting some ECSU baseball games back in the 70s and early 80s. But before he went to the Norwich Bulletin, he was a writer for the Hartford Current. And he wrote a story, which I have a copy of here. I know you've seen it, Al, but the listeners yep. may want to hear it again, that was in the Hartford Current on February fifteenth, 1968. It says, Reporter Aids and Rescue Work. Byline by Tim Tollican. Dateline, Willimantic. 
It was around 2 a.m., and I followed the cruiser racing to Lincoln Square. Patrolman George Winters joined the firemen entering the Lemieux building. Inside, smoke was starting to filter through the walls. We woke everybody up and hustled them out as fast as we could. Seven families were evacuated, many wearing only pajamas. Somebody said there were some animals on the top floor in a third-floor apartment. Winters and I got to the second floor, but the smoke seared our eyes, and we had to pull back. Somebody said there were two dogs, a cat, and a monkey in the apartment. Outside, firemen axed into the Lincoln shop and the Sherwin-Williams paint store. Winters was trying to make evacuees comfortable in cars, cruisers, ambulances, and trucks. I called store owners in the area. There were about 25 firemen trying to contain the blaze. By 3.30 a.m., the square was alive with people. The Salvation Army canteen showed up with hot coffee, keeping firemen's morale up in frigid temperatures. It was about 5 a.m., and firemen had been working almost three hours when the fire first broke into the open. Flames bellowed through the roof of the Lincoln shop. Almost immediately, the whole front of the building fell into Main Street, narrowly missing two firemen, raising a ladder to an adjacent building. About dawn, several firemen hoped they had the blaze under control, but Chief Albert Martin warned, quote, there's still a lot of fire left in those cellars. A few minutes later, heavy black smoke erupted from the cellars, and flooding occurred at Superior Electronics in the Hurley's Prep Shop. Firemen worked in waist-deep water in the cellars, trying to keep the flames from some 30,000 gallons of paint. Firemen sprayed adjoining First Baptist Church for nearly three hours, saving it from the flames. Deputy Fire Chief Ambrose Roy said it was the most stubborn fire he's ever seen. Public works crews detoured traffic from Lincoln Square and sanded rapidly freezing water cascading from the buildings. Spectators and participants had high praise for firemen. They're really professionals. It's a wonder more weren't hurt. I can't say enough for those firefighters, said Al Slate of the Mustard Agency. My entire records were saved. Firemen, in turn, praised the owners of Hurley's, who kept their one undamaged store open through the night, giving firemen a chance to occasionally warm up during the long battle. The thermometer said two degrees below zero when the alarm sounded. Correct. Great recap, written by Tim Tolican of the Hartford Current. So what are your thoughts when you hear that? What, what things stand out to you? It brings back a lot of memories, uh, and, and everything he's got in there is very true. Uh, they did keep it open. Uh, we'd go over and warm up in the buildings, uh, and and the public, they were so helpful. They they kept us, you know, uh, let's say sane. But yes, it was a stubborn fire, and uh, it was a real toughie, as I said, due to the fact that everything was contained in that basement, and there was one bulkhead going into there. There were there wasn't. You know, it's not like an open building where you can go in through the windows or go in through uh, other stairways. Every, the basement was contained in that one area, and that was it. And uh, the two firefighters that were just coming off of the ladder was, uh, well, Captain DeMarshi, retired Captain DeMarshi, and uh, who turned out to be our chief was uh, uh, Patrick Cormier, uh, and they just got off of the ladder and onto mustard roof and then down onto the ground when the whole front of the building collapsed down. The other thing that got my attention from Tim's story there was the firemen wading in waist-deep waste water deep in the water. cellar. Now, I realize it wasn't two below zero inside like it was outside, no. but you got a fire burning on above, above and near you, <laughs> and you guys are down in the basement. Uh, that That's incredible stuff to me. That's, that's the job. I mean... Uh, 
<coughs> we take chances, excuse me, we take the chances and, and in order to get to the seat of the fire and get it out, you're not going to do it from standing outside doing nothing. You've got to go in and, and uh, uh, put it out there. You know, you get to the seat of the fire instead of waiting for it to come out through the roof, which it did anyhow. You were telling a story off air about this New York City guy, Charlie Monzillo, the uh, future fire chief there that came to town here. What was the story about the, Chief Monzillo? The, he he was amazed at the way we uh, uh, operated. Uh, you'd go in with uh, three men on the engine and uh, two men on the ladder truck, and if we had a uh, an apartment fire, we'd get in there and knock it down. And uh, he uh, made the statement one time. He says. Uh, uh, in New York, he says we would have had we would have lost the block. And I said, and you respond with forty men uh, at a time at a clip. And I said, you're telling me you would have lost this. He says, yeah, I don't understand how you guys do it. And I said, well, this is what we've got. We're five men, and if we don't get in there and get to the seat of the fire and put it out, we're going to have a lot of foundations in Willimantic. So I says that's the difference. We're, we're five men and we're trained. This is, he says, I could take you to New York. You guys could probably do a good job. <laughs> but he was a great chief. He just passed away. And uh, just when it comes to the memories, you you get people that come bumping around town now, and they say, man, I remember that fire. I mean, oh, it, many, it, it, many, it's gone but not forgotten. Many of them have told me they remember that fire. They remember the Shell Chateau. Uh some go back. I was a young gentleman in that school, St. Mary's School, when it burnt. Uh, that was all stick-built, all wood. Uh, and, and, yeah, and, uh, uh, again, of course, my buddy uh, Francois Gamache there, he got me started in uh, postcards. So uh, one thing he did tell me about postcards, he says, it's written on there where it is, where people take pictures and never mark a thing on them. So a lot of our fire pictures don't have anything marked on them, but you recognize it by looking at where the area was. Yeah, Francois was great. He shared some of his postcards. Oh, yeah. One of one of his postcards ended up being a shot in one of our early weather calendars. Did these buildings at the Valentine's Day fire have sprinklers? Uh, none that I know of. Um, you know, the, the code back then, the building code, didn't require them to have them. Um, and uh, if you remember, uh, you pr probably won't, but the uh, Church and Reed building, the reason why that was taken down, because their inside wall was also the inside wall of the, I believe, country squires. So when they tore that down, it only left, you know, that, that firewall, and uh, it was unsafe. So basically that's why... The old uh, hotel, as I know it by postcards, was torn down the Church and Reed building. Do you think this fire accelerated what we call the redevelopment project in 73-74, which became Gilson Square? No, I don't believe so. Uh, it, it was just the, the, these businesses weren't going to rebuild. Uh, the cost, I guess, of rebuilding that whole block would have been tremendous and... Uh, but I, I don't think it, it, it accelerated. Uh, I know it wasn't a process, but I, I don't think it uh, did help it. Al, I want to thank you for joining me this morning and sharing your memories of this significant fire that took place in Willimantic 50 years ago today. It began about 1.30 in the morning and it burned all day long, not far from where we're sitting right now. Good Correct. to see you, my friend. Thanks for and coming. And I thank you today. for having me.
Al Bolio, retired fire captain with the Willimantic Fire Department, reflecting on the Valentine's Day fire from 50 years ago today.